Hello again, Rabbi. Hello, Joe. And hello again, Rachel. Rachel has not been smart enough to run away, but is willing to talk to us yet again uh, and contribute her insights and wisdom on food and culture. He means my rambling. <laughs> but taste, it's, it's there. I, I see it again and again in literature and in movies. You just taste this one thing and it takes you back in time to when you were young and or a pleasant experience that you had. Rachel, all the holidays have a specific taste. And if you think about something, if you think about matzah brai, fried matzah, or you think about gefilte fish, or you think about dipping apples in honey, just thinking about the taste brings us to that holiday. Food memory is integrated in the human, uh, the human psyche, the human genome. Um, like I, I said in our first video, it is this thing for survival, this necessity that we have improved upon and adventured with, something that we can appreciate as people. And it can be something as basic as children don't really like green things when they get older because there is something in our genetics that tells us in the wild, don't eat. bright green things are usually poisonous. So that's just a survival instinct that still hasn't gone away, much like the appendix or the wisdom teeth. Um, and sometimes the kids can get over it, but there's an exception to every rule. We get over it as we get older. Well, taste then becomes very, very important to observances, to family. And have you had experiences where somebody mentioned a food and somebody else said, ooh, and for you, that food was family or love? Does anything come to mind when I mention that? Something that I dislike that someone else loves. Either way, either way. I can tell you right now, I used to love macarons, the French cookie, but then I did my internship and we had one bad experience where we had to remake 3000 macarons and I couldn't eat a macaron for two years. Over two years, anytime someone would mention it or try to show one to me, I got physically nauseous just because my memory associated with the macaron was just so unpleasant. Whereas you said apples and honey, and that's just such a simple combination of food. But I immediately thought of the seders with my parents and of Hanukkah, where we would just dip. And it, it was something we did together. We all sat around, we cut the apples, we dipped the honey. And it, it's not like it was that involved, but my family was there. And that was a good memory for me. So we, there's something going on in here that ties our taste buds to memory, to feelings, to family. And there must be lots of foods that would trigger in different cultures. So the most basic animal part of it is you have the good memory with food because you would want to find that food again because there is tasty, nutritious food that would keep you alive. That's the most basic animal line instinct of it. And then if, if we go higher, um, because now we're past needing that for, well, most people yes. are fascinating it for yeah. uh, base survival. Now we're on to just we're having good memories and it ties in. You are activating your taste buds, this physical portion of you that is sending your nerves firing and it just connects just like any other memory. Like I could say potato, you could remember you fried a potato two weeks ago and that's just the way the human brain works. Now, obviously sugar is it becomes an issue right now because in several other 
European and Middle Eastern countries, some of our, I don't want to mention names because someone will get upset, but some of the things can't be called bread. Something else can't be called ketchup. And this has happened in a number of places because of the amount of sugar. What's happened to us here in the United States that we've become sweet obsessed? What's the connection there? It's the availability of food. Sugar made things that were highly processed and these highly processed foods are cheap to make, so it's cheap to sell. And as our economy, as the prices got up, it was just more available for, the, for everybody to buy these things. It was just the class that we're in and the availability. So everything in America has more sugar than necessary and becomes sweeter. And what does that then do to my taste buds or memory when I'm eating something else? You know, spicy as opposed to sweet or sweet and spicy just the sheer amount of sugar i would say it actually dulls your um sensitivity to your food memory with too much sugar like even an apple is sweet but it's got a slight tartness to it i would actually say that's a stronger food memory than me, me see, eating a piece of candy like we've had so much candy we've had so much um sugary snacks here like that doesn't really hold much to me it's just too common but that slightly tartness from an apple, that really, like I'm salivating right now just thinking about an apple. <laughs> but I think about food memories and I and every year when we make haroset for Passover, because oh, we have a family meal and everybody says, Joe and Laurel make the best haroset. We make haroset. And then at the time we finish it and we're eating it, my daughter always turns to me and says, this is so great. Why don't we make this all year round? And why don't we do it all year round? It's not hard to make, but somehow having it be for Passover is, is important. It's having it, when something becomes too common, as we talked about sugar, it loses its, what, taste? It use, loses its uniqueness. And so we want to reserve certain foods for certain times of the year to enjoy it more. Uh, look at how we have, taken for granted Wonder Bread, helping build strong bodies eight ways and it's sliced and it has no nutritional value whatsoever, given something being so ubiquitous. So having Chorosan all year round, it wouldn't be Passover. And, and there's something to be said for uh, ritualistic foods such as they are, it's, it's a key, factor a key moment at that um holiday at that event that really symbolizes the same reason you don't have birthday cake all year round that a birthday cake and there's some people who do eat cake every day and i you know what i bet those people don't really look forward to cake per se other than it's an expected tradition but whereas i look forward to birthday cake because i don't really eat cake year round it's it is something that i look forward to and that symbolizes a party per se um, whereas someone else might look forward to the lamb, the egg, especially lamb. And speaking of treats, we don't really have lamb year round. I look forward to a nice roast lamb around Easter with my husband's family. I don't particularly like cake. It's kind of odd. I like cookies. Mm -hmm. I like nuts. I like things that crunch as opposed to schmush. Now, what does that say about my memories or taste? What's going on that, given the choice, I gravitate towards crunchy and not smushy? 
Well, so I think you told me your mom was maybe not a particularly good cook when you were growing up. I will not eat in a restaurant that has food like mother used to make. <laughs> That's how bad my mother's cooking was. Would you say she usually overcooked a lot of her food? Was it crunchy or tough? It was burnt and sometimes hard to recognize. And it wasn't unusual to be sitting down for dinner and all of a sudden my mother would scream some expletive and run in the kitchen because something we were supposed to eat was in the oven and it was burnt. So there's an exception to every rule, but if I would have to gander a guess, um, and you, you like crunchy foods, it's probably because you can eat the crunch now with, that, with the palatable nature of the sugar or the seasoning. And maybe that does remind you of your mom a little bit, but it's easier to eat. Um, I actually like a lot of crunch too. And I, it could also just come down to preference. Not everything has a deeper meaning. Sometimes the blue drapes are blue. Go ahead, so John. To, to go to the other side, the other direction, is there a food that you can think of that you have to eat because it's obligatory part of the holiday that you really don't like? That really is, oh, uh, I've got to eat this because right somebody makes it and we have to eat it every year because she brings it to the dinner. I or, love the, I love gefilte fish. Pike. Um, was it it's pike, goldfish, and um, I'm losing the name of it. It's three fishes put together. And the reason for gefilte fish developing was for our ancestors. There were different prices. Pike was more expensive than whitefish, but whitefish was more expensive than pike, and carp was the cheapest fish. So you start with the carp, the cheap fish, then you add the whitefish to get the taste of it, but as little as possible because it was too expensive. And gefilte means stuffed. So you may not like this gefilte fish, Rachel, because it has too much carp in it, and not enough of the other two fish or vice versa, because there's no one recipe for gefilte fish. And I've had it, the tastes are very dramatic. And for me, I, I think it's the texture too. Um, the main reason I dislike gefilte fish is because when I was younger and when I was sensitive to smell, uh, which I'm still sensitive to smell, but my taste is different. My mom ate a lot of tuna fish to this day. I cannot stand the smell of tuna fish. So my husband is kind enough to eat it when I'm outside the house. But then gefilte fish brings up that same memory for me because it looks like canned tuna fish and it smells and I can't handle it. Maybe if my mom hadn't eaten so much of it when I was younger and maybe waited until I developed, maybe I could have handled it. So then smell is, is taste or taste is smell. They, yep, they are intrinsically woven together. People who lose their sense of smell, unfortunately, can't taste a lot because you are aerating the, um, the flavors, your taste buds, as you breathe. So but then the links we're looking at are smell, taste, and upbringing and holidays and how we associate. So every civilization on our planet, every group has a food associated with the new year or so can you name some foods that chinese japanese vietnamese korean i don't know specifically they eat them at i don't know but you'd eat them at 
Um, I know mandarin oranges are one in China, but there's lots. Um, goodness, I know we eat Chinese food on the New Year. <laughs> you know, the American Chinese. Um, I can't really Moon cakes are very Moon popular. Moon cakes on the Chinese New Year. And they're filled with red bean paste. And everybody goes, okay, I don't get that. But if you've never had one, it's very sweet. So, but just because we can't name them doesn't mean that every culture or group has this association because it's so strong. I'm celebrating a birthday, a, a new job. I purchased a new car, something. So we associate taste with the event. And it is possible then, uh, it's happened to me, I will be eating something and all of a sudden I'm 10 years old or 12 years old or I'm back at the table again. And it passes very quickly. That's how much taste is associated with events and things in our lives. Yeah, I think uh, to make this more relatable for the average American, I think we were talking about Ratatouille, the movie, and you have Anton Ego, this very severe, very unhappy man. But when he tasted the Ratatouille, he was immediately brought back to his childhood and his mom making this very common peasant dish, but it was a dish that he associated with his mother and it made him remember even if it wasn't terribly sweet, it wasn't terribly special, but that was the food that she made him and that he was used to as a child. Again, all human beings then have the same tie with taste, memory, and events. And what differs is the climate. It's red bean paste, which is something we didn't have in New England, though we did have maple syrup, which we would put on our pancakes. And it's kind of weird that our neighbors to the north, our Canadian neighbors, will don't put maple syrup. I would have thought, given their flag, given it's Canada, that Canadians would put maple syrup on their pancakes instead of grape jelly or strawberry jam. So I think that comes back down to luxury. They have the uh, maple tree all year round. They can make that whenever. Berries in their very cold climate are much more of a luxury, much more of a rarity. So that's more special to them and they want it more. Whereas we don't really have maple trees to do it. So we would probably want the, ma um, the maple syrup more. It, it's kind of like the whole flip-flop of class and luxury. And it's just now tradition because it, that's just the way it was born. Do we have, do certain foods trigger our memories because we have good memories around the time of those foods? Or was it the foods being good that made the memory good? Oh, that, that is the chicken or egg question. What do you think about that, Rachel? I think it's more likely that we have good memories um, because of the event and less because of the food. Um, because I've had lots of good memories with bad food. And man, um, like I could still, that gefilte fish, whereas I hate gefilte fish. I still have good memories of those Passovers and those uh, Jewish holidays with my family. The gefilte fish didn't ruin it per se for me. It's, it's more like a helper, I would say, when the food is good and it triggers a good memory. Can you, every culture then, I'd like to ask my listeners, think for a moment of your memories of the food you've eaten, being with family, the good times, and then think of other people who may have turned up their nose at it, or it had no effect whatsoever. 
It's, and it's kind of odd that our American taste, the restaurants we go to, generally lean towards, I don't know if it's a blander or a sweeter or a homogenized. As Americans, we're, we don't seem too keen on the sharpness. Variety. I mean, even something like Tex-Mex, which I happen to like. What a, what a weird thing. The, the food, it's Mexican. But how did it become Tex-Mex? It's sort of like the Americanization of Mexican food. To Chinese food is another wonderful example. I don't know if it still exists, but a group of Americans opened up a series of American Chinese foods in China called the Fortune Cookie. And I read a couple of years ago, they were doing quite well because it was a real novelty for the Chinese people to eat Chinese food from America that wasn't Chinese, which brings us up to McDonald's, to Burger King in, in other countries. And are you familiar at all, Rachel, with some of the changes in menu for a Big Mac in other places on our planet? Uh, I think in, um, I think it's, it's either China or Japan, but they do a squid ink bun for a McDonald's burger because I mean, squid ink is very popular. It's popular in more places than just Asia. It's popular in Italy, but that's what appealed to them, that extra bit of saltiness. And, and I had a, a, a quarter pounder with a slice of avocado on it in Latin America once. And that surprised me to no end. Especially when, yeah, well, avocados are so expensive here these days. Although we're currently in a nice drop. Everybody buy your avocados, they're 89 cents. <laughs> so it works the other way as well. We export our tastes, but the country then adapts it so that it's palatable for the local, unless you just want it to be like the fortune cookie restaurant to be a novelty, mm -hmm. something really unusual or different. So we all have, have these great memories, Joe. Well, I know one thing that's not unusual or different is the very consistent way in which you always point out things that are interesting and consistently good to know. Uh, so thank you very much again, Rabbi, and thank you too, Rachel. And uh, we'll hopefully get a chance to talk again sometime about these ongoing things because I don't think I've eaten my last weird food yet. <laughs> Well, thank you, Rachel, for coming on and talking with us. And for our listeners out there, next time you taste anything, pay attention to the memory and to why that particular food you find attractive.